There are three principles in the circular economy. First one is eliminating waste and pollution. Second is circulating products and materials at their highest value. And of course, regenerating nature. How can our founders say, how can we create products and services over time that actually feed into this new economy? This is TechCetera, a podcast by Ericsson about the intersection of technology, culture, etc. I'm your host, Sarah Goss, and I'm Head of Innovation at Ericsson. Climate change has gone from an important issue to the issue of the times, with scientists predicting that unless global carbon emissions are drastically reduced, the world will soon reach an irreversible tipping point. This challenge has given rise to a global circular economy, estimated to be worth $4.5 trillion by 2030. However, only 8.6% of the world's economy is currently circular. In this episode, I speak with two leaders in sustainable business about transitioning to the circular economy, exploring how connectivity can be used to protect the planet while ensuring future economic growth and job opportunities in Asia Pacific. Today, you'll hear from Tana Sullivan from GoTo Group, the largest digital ecosystem in Indonesia. Tana is Group Head of Sustainability for GoTo, overseeing the integration of environmental, social and governance initiatives and best practices for GoTo's enterprise and government customers. You'll also hear from Carlo Chen Delanta, Head of ESG at venture capital investment firm Gobi Partners, Carlo leads investments in innovative companies that champion sustainability. Previously an award-winning social entrepreneur, Carlo's worked as the country director of Waves for Water Philippines, a non-profit providing access to clean water for over 1 million Filipinos. So let's dive in. Tana, what does GoTo do and what attracted you to GoTo and your role of head of sustainability? So GoTo Group is a holding company for a group of operating companies, Gojek, GoTo Financial, and Tobopedia. We cover everything from on-demand services to fintech to logistics and e-commerce. And so it's a wide range of business lines that we have with a huge ecosystem across Indonesia and also Vietnam and Singapore as well. Just to give you a sense of the size of our ecosystem, We have almost 15 million merchants across Indonesia alone. We have around 2.6 million, I think, driver partners across the region. We have around 50 million plus active consumers here in Indonesia and across the region. And so why I was attracted to it, I mean, I think it's an exciting time to be here in Indonesia. I grew up overseas, but I'm half Indonesian. I always wanted to come back to Indonesia and, of course, A company like at the time, Gojek, where I originally joined, was just incredibly compelling just because of the kind of impact that they were making across the country. I think it was unprecedented, not just for Indonesia, but globally as well. Fast forward almost three years now. And uh, since then, a lot has happened. We merged with Tokopedia, which is the e-commerce company here in Indonesia, and formed GoToGroup. We also went public. We listed on the Indonesian Stock Exchange in April in 2022. And so... All these things together, that is why I'm here. 
What about the sustainability piece for you? Obviously heading up that domain in GoTo, what about that particularly resonates for you? Before I came into this role, I was at an organization called the World Economic Forum. And I think there I was fortunate to have an incredible exposure to a lot of what the world's top business leaders, government leaders, civil society leaders were thinking about and approaching sustainability challenges, which things like climate change, things like social inequality and wealth disparity, I mean, these are things that are fundamental challenges that all of us have to face, whether you're private public sector, whether you're an advanced emerging market. The exposure I got seeing and observing the leaders themselves in how they think and approach and manage these issues, both individually within their organizations, but also as collectively as communities or as societies, I think this was incredibly a huge learning curve for me because if you look at an ecosystem like GoTo's, as I mentioned before, the reach and the impact it has is just second to none. And so being able to drive sustainability solutions to some of the biggest sustainability challenges that Indonesia faces and then having real impact, tangible impact that you can measure across millions of stakeholders in our ecosystem. There's just a change in the winds here and something really amazing happening on the ground, not just within GoTo, but also with the country's foremost business and government leaders. I think it's just really the optimal time to be making these kinds of changes. I'm sure you can relate, Carlo, to this idea of solving big challenges and having impact. Can you tell me a bit more about the mission and vision of Gobi Partners and your role in achieving them as head of ESG, which obviously is head of environmental, social and governance, I guess? So Gobi Partners is the most interconnected pan-Asian venture capital firm with over $1.5 billion in assets under management. And we have about 15 locations all around Asia, most specifically um, Bangkok, all the way to Hong Kong, Singapore, and where I'm from, the Philippines. I come from a family of manufacturers, and I grew up in the Philippines feeling the effects of climate change. So this all started when 2013, during Typhoon Yolanda, Typhoon Haiyan, was one of the most uh, heaviest and most damaging super typhoons in the world. And I was right in the middle of it. And that changed my life. I was part of a nonprofit called Waves for Water. It's a surfing organization, really providing access to clean drinking water. And that taught me about what technology can bring in, right? And with that experience, I sort of came to this realization over time that although the nonprofit is there, there are so many other issues in the region or globally that needs to be solved. And I thought that technology and its space really provided that opportunity to create exponential impact, especially in the Philippines, but rather so in the deeper Asian regions. And really the goal for me is to oversee, now that we've committed to the United Nations Global, how do we integrate seamlessly what this means towards our startups, which are over 320 startups across the regions with over 15 funds to date, And how do we make sure that this is part of who we are? Carlo, can you explain for us a bit more about what is meant when we refer to climate action, sustainability, and the circular economy? That's a big pot, Pandora's box. I'm going to oblige to open. So if we think about where we are currently, the world at its primer is globalized already. We take, we make 
and basically just be wasteful about it without doing it, right? So we are currently at a linear economy. However, we see the effects of being a bit wasteful unknowingly. It's created this imbalance. This is where, especially during this winter time, we see that harsher winters, hotter summers, flooding is apparent, livability all around the world, migrations everywhere is happening. That's because of climate change, but really linked towards our habits globally. How do we make the planet livable for the future generations? For me, I'm a big advocate of sustainability or specifically the circular economy. How do we become a restorative and regenerative society? And a lot of that really starts with design. So there are three principles in the circular economy driven by design. The first one is eliminating waste and pollution. Second is circling products and materials at their highest value. And of course, regenerating nature. These principles are really the crux or the foundation of where the world should go. And a lot of our work, especially now, considering that we're talking about tech, is how can our founders and our engineers, e.g. designers in this space, can really look at these principles from the onset and say, how can we create products and services over time that actually feed into this new economy? Tana, combating climate change is perhaps the world's most pressing issue. You mentioned that as a company, GoTo has 2.6 million driver partners on the road. So how vital is sustainability action for GoTo? If you take a look at our emissions inventory for the entire ecosystem, almost 90% of our emissions inventory comes from the mobility happening on Gojek's platform. And so for us, what does decarbonization actually look like? It's that we got to tackle the biggest part of our inventory first and foremost as a priority, which is why we're investing so much into electric mobility, not just building up the infrastructure itself, but also looking at EV manufacturing and trying to come up with a product that is going to be competitive, that is going to be cost-effective for our driver partners, that is going to meet their needs, and that also is going to reduce our emissions inventory by around 60 or 70% based on our assessments. We are in an incredibly vulnerable region, and so who are those that are going to be most affected and impacted by the effects of climate change? It's the millions of stakeholders in our ecosystem, which is why we feel this so intensely and urgently. And so if we can do this right and we can work and bring along our partners, whether they're our drivers, whether they're our investors, whether they're the other partner companies that we work with to, to make this happen, to build a more cleaner, more sustainable mobility system here in Indonesia, then great. It's a net positive for everyone. We want to make sure that everybody in our ecosystem is as resilient as possible and can withstand current and future disruptions. I noticed the language you use, you talk about operational shifts and you talk about ensuring ecosystem resilience as distinct from ESG or climate action or sustainability initiatives or projects. Why do you use that type of language, I suppose, and what are some examples of the shifts that GoTo is implementing? I do that very intentionally, precisely because for us, these aren't ESG or sustainability initiatives. These are efforts and transitions and shifts we're making as a company to be 
more mindful of our environmental and social impact. I say this quite often as well, you know, and, and even when people talk to us about, oh, impact investing. Well, no, it shouldn't be that we have impact investors. We should just have investors who have prioritized ESG and sustainability solutions, ventures, considerations into their investment decision-making processes, full stop. These are really fundamental to how we run our company and how we want to operate across our ecosystem. So even though, for example, the sustainability function at GoTo Group is a standalone function, I mean, if I do my job well, I shouldn't have a job in a few years because this will be institutional knowledge. What's missing so far is just that knowledge and that linkage with ESG and sustainability trends and what public markets or international investors expect from companies from an ESG standpoint. That's the linkage that needs to be made. And I think that's what we're really pushing to institutionalize across GoTo. Carlo, I can see you nodding. And I think obviously you're relating to the linkages that Tana is referring to. And I know for Gobi Partners that you look at investments, not just in terms of the profit that could be generated, but also on the dimensions of people and planet. So can you tell me how much weight is given to each of those three areas, if you like, how you approach that tension that maybe exists between what delivers profits and what's good for people and the planet? When it comes to identifying startups that we would invest in, we have institutionalized our due diligence process we are making sure that before any investment gets approved, me as head of ESG gets to sign off and green lights every aspect of the E, the S, and the G. And I also wanted to talk more about the process there where E or environment as a discipline or practice, a lot of us understand that, especially with the awareness happening globally, when it comes to S and the G, I want to flip the table and say, we really need to start with governance, right? And I think it really needs to start from within, but also making sure that we really look through all aspects or all angles that could be ESG related, right? How do we make our offices ESG compliant and hopefully help promote ESG in their respective countries as well? Tana, GoTo is chasing net zero emissions. What exactly are you doing to achieve this and what are the main challenges you face in reaching the goal? The primary levers we're focusing on are, as I mentioned before, electric mobility, because it comprises so much or contributes to so much of our emissions inventory. We established a joint venture last year called Electrum. We are looking at the battery swapping infrastructure and, and investing in that to make sure that also there's a supporting infrastructure built for a future electric mobility system here in Indonesia. Some of the other aspects we've or, or areas that we're looking at is shifting our operations over to renewable energy. Right now, our HQs are all uh, 100% renewable energy powered. We are scaling that across all of the offices that we have uh, by the end of this year. That includes also the fulfillment centers, the cloud kitchens. And so you can imagine it's quite an extensive network of offices and footprint we have across the country and across the region. I think there's other aspects like, for example, route optimization. So things where we're working even with our partners like Google to ensure that when like in-app, when drivers are getting their routes, that they are the routes that are the least admitting. There's also things like order pooling from the e-commerce side of the logistics team. We work quite closely to ensure that 
again, the same thing, the least emitting routes are being taken for deliveries. Tokopedia, I think on a daily basis, it's the number is still around a million packages a day that gets distributed across Indonesia. That's a huge amount. How do we optimize the order pooling and the deliveries and all of that? And what's interesting is actually we have these big three zero commitments. We call them the three zeros. It's zero emissions, zero waste, and zero barrier. All three have 2030 roadmaps. It'll be really exciting times ahead, but I think that's probably the main approach that we have in terms of our zero emissions roadmap. We do have a carbon offset feature in our app on the Gojek side, but that is not calculated against our inventory. The reason is we wanted to not just raise awareness with our consumers and our users overall, but we actually wanted to provide them with something to do. Now we have around a half a million Gojek users who have selected or opted in as a default. Every single go ride and go car order they have is now offset. They're paying up to 10% more per order to make that happen. And so that debunks two things. One, that Indonesian consumers are not aware <laughs> in general of their footprint and that they don't care enough about it. And two, that they're willing to pay that premium. The fact that they want to pay that additional 10%, I think, speaks a lot to the way that the, the shifts that Indonesian consumers and their behaviors are moving towards um, more sustainable practices as well. So it's very, very interesting and positive for us. It's a really important point, isn't it? If you want to make those strategic and systematic shifts that you've spoken about, you have to enlist action and enable and empower that action through the broader ecosystem, as you're describing. I wonder, though, there must be barriers. And for example, I know GoTo, as part of your zero emissions target, that you are committed to 100% use of electric vehicles by 2030 timeframe. So how do you plan to achieve this considering the lack of recharging infrastructure as a dependency? So we have so many dependencies in all of our roadmaps, not just zero emissions, but that's where these partnerships and this collective action comes into play. We have the necessary support, both from public and, and private sector partners to be able to achieve this for 2030. We have to be confident in that. We have to have faith that this is going to happen because if not, we're all doomed. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. No, but it is. It, it's a very despairing future. If not, I mean, we have to have hope. For us, we have all the hope, but backed by real capital, backed by real partnerships, backed by real government support and regulatory support to be able to build this electric mobility system, which includes swapping and charging infrastructure as well. And it's not just us. We're working with other manufacturers as well. There's always going to be challenges with all of these things. But for both companies, the slogan, so on Gojek's side, it's there has to be a way in Indonesian, pasti ada jalan. And on the Tokopedia side, it's mulai ada dulu, it means just start. You know, you have to start somewhere. And so in both these combined, I think there has to be a way. We have to start somewhere. We have to do something. And this to us is incredibly exciting. And we're never going to eat the elephant in one bite, are we? And I think if you do allow yourself to have that systems mindset and that systems thinking approach, then you can chunk down the problem and the challenges one piece at a time. Carlo, circular business models modify the pattern of product and material flows through the economy. So from your perspective, are we looking at a world in maybe the not too distant future where the circular business becomes the standard for every business? Yes, that's the goal. And especially when we talk about businesses, 
innately they should be circular to begin with. That's where we see a lot of conversations happening now. Conversation about where one e-waste, how we've been wasteful with our product design, but also on the part of software as a service or hardware as a service, product as a service in this space. A lot of the conversation here is really supply chain. How can we reduce the amount of waste or products that go to landfill? Or even better is how do we make sure we minimize waste when it gets to the consumer? And a lot of this conversation is really industrial symbiosis. How do we make sure the waste from every step of a product through the supply chain, how does that waste get used by another industry or another company? Right? And this is something that's very, very technical from the onset. Is recycling the only way to do it? Is upcycling shouldn't be a, uh, a practice over time, especially when we achieve circular economy because we don't have anything to upcycle anymore. Rather, everything goes to recycling or rather yet everything's controlled or contained within the industrial symbiosis. A lot of the conversation now is how do we actually achieve ESG everywhere, institutionalized all the way to SMEs, right? So there's a lot of work to be done, especially in Asia. Awareness and practicing it is going to take a while. And that's our role in Gobi is to figure out how to get there over time, because this is really a marathon, not a sprint. Tackling supply chain emissions, as you pointed out, is something in focus for Ericsson as well. As a large business, we understand the tone we can set in the expectations of the partners that we work with. And we're actively working to reduce emissions in our supply chain. We set a target in 2020 to engage with 350 of our high emitting and strategic suppliers to set their own 1.5 degree reduction aligned climate targets by 2025. So it's a really important point I think that you make about that supply chain view. We know, Tana, that at the end of the day, GoTo is in a business. And as with any business, if it doesn't make sense dollars wise, then it doesn't make sense. So how does sustainability and the actions you've taken make financial sense for GoTo? Everything we've done, all the shifts we've made as a company towards more sustainable practices has either replaced or reduced an operational expense for the company. Some of the examples that we have so far, we talked about circularity a lot. And so what does circularity or what does a circular economy look like in a go-to context? So last year, we were able to reduce the operational expenses of our fulfillment centers by around 20 or 30%. And that was purely born out of myself and the team spending time with our fulfillment center teams and seeing how they were packing orders. And so there was a couple of things there, one being the excessive packaging that was being used. On top of that, we also saw a lot of the primary packaging that was coming in from the FMCG suppliers was going to waste, essentially, it was going to landfill. And then they were being repacked as consumer individual orders. When we talked to the packaging manufacturers, our suppliers, and saying to them like, hey, why don't you sell us recycled packaging? Or why don't you sell, you? can you do that? I'm like, of course we can, but there's not enough waste material. And then all of a sudden it like clicked for us, right? It's like, but wait a second, our fulfillment centers produce, throw away all this packaging as waste. And then here on the downstream side, we have packaging manufacturers who need 
waste. Because by the way, the ones that were already producing recycled packages had to charge a 20% premium for those packages because they were importing waste from overseas. And so, hey, let's connect these two things. Let's ensure that the packaging manufacturers not just are able to repurpose that packaging into recycled packaging, but are going for the right international standards as well. So now we're very proud to say that on top of reducing the operational expenses of the fulfillment center, because now we are selling the primary packaging to the packaging manufacturers, they're purchasing it from us. They are then selling back to us 100% recycled FSC certified packaging that is then going out through our fulfillment centers every day. So now all of the packaging, all of the boxes that go out to consumers from the Tokopedia side, from our fulfillment centers are 100% recycled FSC certified packaging. And that is circularity in practice. What a great example. Are we seeing with the rise of the circular economy the bringing together of business and purpose, do you think, Carla? I'll start with you. Yes, 100%. You need these big tech companies to implement these initiatives, mainly because they have the skill to do it, they have the resources, and they're willing to share these best practices, right? And that's how we sort of connect all the dots within the circular economy. So when I think about purpose, what's our motivation here? We talk to a lot of startups and even our co-investors here we see that there is a way to optimize costs or reduce costs if we actually shift towards a circular economy, but also it helps promote the better bottom line. Now, of course, we don't want to cut corners there. What are your priorities? And it's really a tough conversation over time because Tan and I speak the same language, but a lot of the stakeholders, we want to be part of the conversation takes a while. It's really a long journey. And for us, the reason why we're here is we see this as really the, the future, but also this how we see things go through over time. Tana, what about from your perspective? How do you see the coming together of business and purpose with the advent of circularity? Well, I think now these are fused concepts, if you can call them that. You no longer have a sustainable business or a responsible business. You just have a business. It has to be responsible. That's it. And so the kind of economic impact we're having or financial impact we're having, it's no longer something that has to be siloed, right? This is very much well integrated and well embedded into the performance of the company. For example, we're so happy to talk to anyone and everyone about the lessons and the learnings and the journey we've taken so far. In these types of examples, we've got a ton more that we can share I talk to investors, I talk to ESG naysayers all the time. And, you know, through those conversations, you start to see the understanding change and their own perceptions change because we're not head in the clouds, vague, fluffy teams. You know, we are working on real, practical, tangible, cost-effective solutions for the company and for the stakeholders. And so I think that's the kind of shift that we need to see happening faster. What about in venture capital circles, Carlo? Is it the case that there's a natural evolution because it simply makes business sense that you're seeing startups move to a circular economy model? Or is it more of a top-down approach from VCs and investors like Gobi who are pushing that agenda? It's a top-down approach. A lot of our LPs or limited partners that invest in our fund or any other ESG-compliant funds they require these firms to actually be practicing ESG or at least slowly going towards that. On the startup side, I think it's also counterintuitive. You want startups 
to scale and grow and build market share as fast as possible? And how do you do that when you have to consider all these aspects in part of ESG? So that's why this is something that a lot of investors, especially in Asia, are trying to figure out what is the Asian ESG framework and how do we make it a bit more friendly? So we have golden standards already, like go to here, but how about the small startups? We even see that there are different tiers of ESG scoring that we're considering, especially when you're doing early stage growth, then all the way out. Now, that's going to take a while. We're still at the very, very beginning of our ESG journey for Gobi. Definitely because of us really talking about ESG to our portfolio companies, making sure they are covered in that sense. They do have this sense of openness that we need to practice ESG because that's the way to go. And Gobi has got our backs for this journey. I want to change focus a little bit now and talk about mobile communications technology. How vital is connectivity, 5G, in achieving sustainability goals and circularity and that future running of sustainable businesses? Carlo? I think 5G and mobile communications really provide faster insights. We did have 4G, LTE, but 5G, especially on the IoT side, it's the most important thing, especially once we hit conversation on how technology can work for the circular economy. We're seeing this mostly now on product as a service. The leasing model works really well for that. What I'm really, really excited is how the fashion industry could look like with proper IoT systems over time, right? That remains to be seen. There's a lot of conversation about that, especially when it comes to natural textile materials. E-waste is definitely a conversation in this space. So mobile communication, IoT, 5G, conversations, insights, and the transparency of it, I think is going to be a very, very important part. And I'd like to say like third-party auditors and certifications are very, very crucial at this space where we're at. Tana, what exciting examples are you already seeing with the application of 5G and other advanced technologies in helping to create shifts towards a more circular economy and sustainable business? So, I mean, without that kind of connectivity, our business would not exist, <laughs> our platform, our communities. So for us, it's incredibly important and in supporting the development of that, of the digital infrastructure across Indonesia, because our business is the digital economy. And so we rely heavily on uh, technology and being able to reach the kinds of communities that we do across Indonesia and across this region. Actually, from the sustainability standpoint, there are an incredible amount of challenges that require really advanced technologies to be able to respond to. And so for us, we have to look outside. We have to look at some of these advanced technologies and solutions from overseas and see what's applicable and relevant here. And then really encourage that kind of transfer of knowledge so that we can get more and more grassroots, local, homegrown solutions to the homegrown challenges that we have. Carlo, can you share any examples of a startup that you're working with who is doing something really inspiring around unlocking the benefits of the faster insights due to connectivity and AI and data, et cetera, that you were talking about? In our Hong Kong office, we have this young startup called Clearbot and they've created autonomous cleaning robot boats that go around different parts of the Greater Bay Area to actually clean out one trash 
in general floating trash, but they realize that there's a big demand for conglomerates that want to measure the amount of waste they actually do within their factories, but also within their offices, whether that's cleaning up trash, looking at the oil spills that they do, all the way to water management and water monitoring, right? Interestingly enough, this dashboard is the most up-to-date in its live feed that they actually send out back as reports to the companies over time. And then they have this conversation of how do we scale this throughout the different regions. And the goal is to look into different demands from these conglomerates or organizations that are looking to reduce their waste, but also looking at different insights that they get to see from ClearBot's dashboard. Tana, as we think about a sustainable future, if or shall we say when GoTo achieves its sustainability goals, what impact do you think it will have on Indonesia, on the Asia-Pac region, but also the planet? Wow. I don't know if I can give you a percentage on our impact on the planet, but it'd be great to think, it's great to think that we would have that, that big of an impact. We contribute around 2% of Indonesia's GDP. I mean, that's a huge statistic. And so for us, it demonstrates, and I think it shows the kind of impact we have here, in at least in Indonesia. As part of that, everything we do has a ripple effect, whether it's across the market or across the different communities and societies and, and what have you here that we operate in the region and in the country. And so taking that responsibility or taking that position very, very seriously means that for us, everything we do, we have to do this kind of holistic system-wide approach to it or perspective on it. We have to ensure that it is going to truly be positive for everybody involved, for all of the stakeholders. And so the hope and, and I think the ambition is that if we're able to crack the decarbonization nut, if we're able to truly build a circular model on our platforms and roll that out across our ecosystem, I mean, the impact is going to be huge. We're talking about tens of millions of people here just in Indonesia. And we hope then by sharing these stories that others will learn and will be able to then apply it into their own context. And then you can have this a ripple effect that's not just across an industry or into, across a country, but across the world. I know from an Ericsson point of view in the information and communications technology sector, as a sector itself, our industry only produces 1.4% of global greenhouse gases, but through independent research, it actually demonstrated that ICT solutions have the potential to enable 15% reduction of emissions in other sectors. Ericsson actually, for example, has a smart factory in Texas, and it's one of only three factories in the world to have the designation by your old employer, Tana, the World Economic Forum, of being a sustainability lighthouse for pioneering sustainability achievement. So it's actually powered by 100% renewable energy and is designed to be 24% more energy efficient than other factories. So a lot is possible and we can start with lighthouses and sort of examples that can lead the way for others. And I think also, Carlo, in your instance, sharing stories of innovative startups, such as that example you gave of Hong Kong, to show the way for others as well. So today we've talked a lot about best practices, but for innovative startups, where might 
you point them to in terms of a good starting point to operate more sustainable businesses or to help tackle climate action and create circularity? Carlo. So in Gobi, after we greenlight an investment, we actually provide a 100-day plan of action for a startup to improve on their ESG scores and benchmarks. Outside of the 100-day, what I practice it, I really want to get to the bottom of their motivation of building their startups, right? What is the pain point? Where do they see the mission would look like in the next 10, 20 years? And really understanding how it will scale and what they need, especially on the stakeholder point of view and their partners, right? How would that look like? So becoming sort of like that super connector in between because they are still molding themselves as ESG compliant is fairly, fairly crucial. And Tana, what advice would you have for companies, partners, et cetera, that you work with? We get this question quite a lot too from others you know, where do I start? We don't have a budget for this. You know, we're, we're a startup or, I mean, look, there's a wealth of publicly available information and resources out there already. The most commonly used ones, at least from a reporting standpoint, is the Global Reporting Initiative and the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. So GRI and SASB are both publicly available resources. You can actually see SASB, in fact, has industry-specific standards and reporting requirements available on their website. You can actually go there and just to give you a sense of what exactly a standard setting board like SASB would be looking at for a company in any one industry and then work backwards from there. If you get the G part right of ESG, the governance component of it, where, for example, you are committed as a leadership team, you have already kind of dedicated resources in some way to this, to making these operational shifts And then you use the gap assessment from bodies like SASB as your basis to what you need to work on or prioritize as a company. That's already a great starting point. And that, by the way, has cost nothing but your time to that point. As you get more and more mature along your sustainability journey, then you can start bringing in outside help. Then you can start looking at setting up your own function and and all those other points. But I think first and foremost is start somewhere, start anywhere. It's better than where you were yesterday. And of course, you know, we're going to do what a company inherently does. We're going to make sure that our investors and our shareholders are happy. And so we want to make sure that even from an ESG standpoint, that we're performing, you know, in a way that they're satisfied or happy with or meeting their or exceeding their expectations were relevant. And so we work backwards also from that, what their expectations are. It's about the prioritization that you spoke about earlier. Those practical tips are a great note to conclude our chat on today. I think um, you would agree that investing in our planet's future is and should be the future benchmark of good business and that technology will play a vital role in facilitating this transformation as well as keeping ourselves informed but also accountable for our progress. So Tana, Carlo, thank you so much for speaking with me today on Techcetera. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to Techcetera, a podcast about the intersection of technology, culture, etc. This podcast was produced by Ericsson. For 130 years and counting, Ericsson has been innovating to deliver the best of mobile connectivity and broadband to billions of people around the world, driving positive change in every sector of our society. To find out more, 
head to our website at ericsson.com. To guarantee you don't miss an episode of Techcetera, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Sarah Goss, and I'll be back next episode with more Techcetera. 